Astros re-gift 17 run games like a fruitcake and a white elephant exchange. That Rangers roll call is giving Houston Texans letterman jacket levels of irony. And Michael Brantley is coming back. No, for real this time. And in his honor, I went out and got his new jersey. And I got a Yordan to match. It's episode 38 of Stone Cold Strews and it starts right now. Welcome into Stone Culture. I'm Brandon Strange, joined by Charlie Palillo and Josh Jordan. Follow them on X at Palillo and at Josh Jordan 975, respectively. If you're watching this, that means the full version of this podcast is available in audio form right now at places like Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. If you use Stitcher, you won't find us there because Stitcher's going away as of the 29th. And then we also, speaking of dates, have a special announcement. Next week, we will be recording a special post-game reaction following the Rangers series on Wednesday nights. So no podcast Monday. We will be releasing it Wednesday night following the conclusion of the Rangers series with Charlie behind enemy lines in Arlington. Charlie, speaking of which, it's episode 38 which Astros player who wore number 38 are you shouting out this week? Well, by the way, above and beyond in the open, uh, this go round, Brandon, that was strong. I'm, I'm fighting off recency bias, so we'll leave Ryland Bannon to the side. I'm going with a name rather ignominious in Astros history to Astros fans who go back far enough, pitcher Jim Clancy. You know, it's, it's said you don't want to be the man following the man, star player, coach. Well, the Astros had their ugly breakup with Nolan Ryan. Then owner John McMullen wanted to cut Nolan Ryan from his $1 million, $1 million per year salary to $800,000. So Nolan was off to the Texas Rangers to replace Nolan. The Astros signed Jim Clancy, who didn't even have a good year with the Toronto Blue Jays in 1988. Three years, almost $3.5 million. It was a long time ago. That was a whopping contract. The total three years almost three and a half million dollars two plus seasons later jim clancy's record as a houston astro nine wins and 25 losses jim clancy at least he didn't lose 38. i guess that opener is not going to hit as much for people just listening to it. it the the joke was bubble wrap and then i want to shout out speaking of number 38 shout out to longtime prospect one-time catcher of the future Corey lee who was just traded for kendall graveman before the deadline he was actually called up by chicago last week and had a hit and a run in his debut game in a losing effort to the oakland a's they lost the series to the oakland a's Ugh. so guys let's get into it as of this recording my goodness seattle is red hot winning 11 of their last 12 They've leapfrogged both the Rangers and the Astros in the standings. Astros have lost six of their last 10. Rangers have lost nine of their last 10 games to drop into a near tie with Houston. Astros are now eighth in MLB power rankings. I think we were discussing before the recording. Mariners are up to four. Are the Mariners peaking at just the right time? Or if you're an Astros fan, could you convince yourself maybe they're peaking a little too early? Well, Maybe. for the Mariners, they needed a peak, right? They were 10 games out barely a month ago, so they needed a surge, and they've done it. You mentioned 11 of 12 starting the week. Since the All-Star break, they're 29 and 12, so that's more than a quarter season's worth of awesome baseball. Right? The Astros have flattened out over the last three weeks, but overall, they've been good since the All-Star break. 
The Texas Rangers, meanwhile, hot out of the break, and now they've fallen. Will they be able to get up? And I know Astros pedigree versus Rangers pedigree. I'd hold off on the chortling, at least through the series in Arlington next week. So it's a it's a three-thoroughbred race. Uh, the Astros, by strength of schedule, which can be a little dicey, you know, teams whose record might not be terrible, playing the Yankees right now, for instance, they're not awful. They're bad, but they're not awful. So in strength of schedule, that doesn't help you as much as playing, say, the A's. Uh, but the Astros have the clearly easiest schedule among themselves, the Rangers and the Mariners. But the head-to-head stuff is huge. Right? The Astros have lost the tiebreaker already to the Mariners. They lead it just one win next week in Arlington. They'd win that tiebreaker over the Rangers. Astros and Rangers, three games left. Astros and Mariners, three games left. Rangers and Mariners, seven of the last ten games of the regular season head-to-head. So we're going down to the final week, but the schedule, those nine games the Astros have against the A's and Royals in mid-September could be a difference maker. And the Blue Jays losing two out of three at home to the Guardians, that's big, right? The two-front race, Astros begin this week two and a half to the good, at least for the last wildcard spot. It's going to be close. We know it's going to be a nail-biter down to the end. The positive things I like about this, Astros finally crept in the top ten of OPS. All season, the pitching's kind of been carrying them, kind of middle of the pack for most of the year. Finally in there, crept into the top 10 OPS. They're number nine in slugging as well, number nine in homers. It's really interesting. Teammate ERA, they were at the very top. They have fallen. Of course, the 17-run game's going to hurt you a little bit, but now down to nine in team ERA. So ninth in OPS, ninth in slugging, ninth in home runs, ninth in team ERA. If anything, the Astros are now consistent. They're a top 10 team on both sides of the ball. Uh, the Red Sox losing two out of three at home to the Dodgers. The Red Sox overall schedule the rest of the way is just very, very difficult. I don't think they can make a run, but the Astros can put them to sleep at Fenway. Of course, they had a chance to do it at Minute Maid Park last week, winning the first two games, but then losing the second two. Uh, but if the Astros win two out of three in Boston, they win that tiebreaker. They also push the Red Sox five and a half games behind them, pretty much eliminating Boston as a possible threat to the Astros' playoff position. Uh, but within the division, right, Seattle has one more week of on-paper cake Three at home with the A's. Then they're at the Mets for three this weekend before it starts to stiffen up some for Seattle. The Rangers, meanwhile, it doesn't seem like it matters who they're playing. They're just chumping up a lot of games. Their bullpen is a freaking disaster right now. Uh, but the Rangers, they just want to at least at least not lose any more ground before getting the Astros at Minute Maid Park starting Labor Day. You mentioned tiebreakers. The, if the Astros can't grab the division lead, then tiebreakers become interesting because of how many they're down. They still have yet, they can capture the tiebreaker with Arlington. But Charlie, set us up. What's a, what's a worst case scenario here? The Astros get into this wild card hunt when they've lost so many tiebreakers to a lot of these people that are in the wild card picture. Well, they've lost it to the Blue Jays. Right? Yep. Toronto won the season series. Yep. They've already lost it to Seattle, eight two Mariners head to head, can win over the Rangers. I mean, the worst case scenario is Toronto, while facing the tougher schedule relative to the AL West teams, all those games within the AL East, Rays and Orioles and Red Sox. But if Toronto gets together and has a huge month, well, the worst case scenario is the Mariners win the division, the Rangers hold off the Astros for second, and the Rays are going to get one wild card spot, and Toronto steals the third one and say a tiebreaker uh, from the Astros. Uh, But I think right now is a simple yes or no to the Astros make the playoffs. It still certainly favors them. It's just way, way more dicey, and they could miss out as opposed to any time over the last six full seasons. 
So guys, Brian McTaggart reported this week that Michael Brantley will be joining the Astros in Boston, anticipation of being reactivated. He's expected to play Tuesday as of this recording. The Astros offense is finally starting to click, looks like, even with Jordan and Pena not hitting homers. Alex Bregman just knocking the cover off the ball over his last 15 games. Are we finally starting to see the Astros offense, the promise of the Astros offense? And and I guess just as importantly, can they maintain this pace? Well, it's just not plausible for everybody to be hot at the same time. Within a single game, it can happen. 25 hits against the Tigers on Sunday as the most recent example. Uh, but Jordan's in a funk. 17 games without a home run. 67 at-bats without a home run. Well, he won 20 games without one last year from mid-August into early September, and he he finished up all right. Uh, <laughs> so is Jordan, uh, Jordan a ticking time bomb ready to go off on a jag? Uh, if not, you mentioned Bregman. He's important for a couple of reasons. One, you count on him. Two, if he's in the two-hole in the lineup, well, he has the most played appearances on the team because he's been healthy this year, so he's played all but uh, one or two games. So if you're batting behind Altuve and ahead of Alvarez and Tucker, right, the foremost job is to get on base, set the table for Jordan and Tuck. Uh, but Bregman has rediscovered his extra base power. I mean, he was on pace to finish with 18, 19 doubles as recently as three weeks ago. Now eight extra base hits in his last nine games, five doubles. You get a crazy bounce off the wall. That's how he gets a triple. Uh, but a couple of home runs, right? He'll always take his walks. His OPS finally creeping over 800 for the season, which isn't elite, but it's certainly good. And in the two-hole with what he has around him, lengthening your lineup. And so if Brantley comes back, you know, we think it's for real this time. He's not going to be an everyday player. And now we get into a, a dusty component. Uh, Brantley hit lefties pretty well last year, but his power against lefties is negligible. Right, A DH platoon, subject to how often Brantley's going to play left field with Jordan playing left field. But Dusty, well, you know, Yonder Diaz doesn't hit left-handed pitching. Right? You could have a natural DH platoon when Diaz isn't catching with Brantley and Diaz. But I don't think Dusty's going to go that way. I don't think Dusty's going to just bench Abreu. Um, so they have now all the components, if Brantley is back, to have their absolute best one through nine lineup depth. If Brantley's capable of performing against major league pitching. If he is, they are stacked. Right, Pena coming on. Bregman coming on. Jordan, you expect to come on. Will the manager play his optimal lineup a healthy percentage of the time? That's my concern, right? Is he going to roll Chaz out in center field constantly? Because that's what he's going to have to do. He's still putting Dubon out there in center field. Myers typically is the center fielder when Fromber pitches. If you want to go with your best lineup and, and Brantley is, is going to play pretty regularly with Jordan, Chaz has got to be your center fielder. You're, you're not taking his bat out of the lineup, but Dusty's been really reluctant to do that all season. And they did it last year when the playoffs started. They went to Chaz. You didn't see Dubon in center field anymore. Well, Dusty, these games mean a lot right now. This isn't like last year. you, you got to get your best lineup in there. So that's something I'm going to pay attention to. And also where they bat them. We all thought they were going to you know, plug Brantley into the number two spot in the lineup early in the year. Well, the way Bregman's hitting right now, I know Dusty. He's superstitious. He's not tinkering with Bregman right now. He's not moving him out of the two hole. So I think we continue to see Bregman hit second. And then Brantley fills in you know, maybe seventh or something like that in the lineup. Yeah, Dusty likes to split 
lefties when he can or righties when he can uh, to a fault with Alvarez and Tucker, the way they've hit left-handed pitching. And bottom line is you want your best hitters to come up the most. Don't push them down in the lineup because, well, I want to go lefty-righty, lefty-righty. So Altuve, Bregman, Jordan, Tucker, one, two, three, four is locked. So if you want to split, then you can go McCormick five or Diaz five, Brantley six, who's ever not five, seven, Pena eight when Maldonado is catching, Maldi nine. Uh, when Diaz is catching, wow, you can have McCormick and Diaz and Brantley with Pena pushed down to the nine spot. Uh, Myers and Dubon, other than a day off, and you don't need many at this point in the season. They're off every Thursday the rest of the way. You know, maybe once per week you still want to DH Altuve, take a little load off the leg. Other than that, Dubon should be getting no more starts. Jake Myers basically should be a late-inning defensive replacement. Chaz to left and Jordan or Brantley, whoever's in the game, if you're going to remove them. There's been a lot of consternation about Dusty's lineups, but I guess, you know, we should give credit where it's due. Abreu's no longer hitting in the cleanup spot like he did for the majority of the season. Uh, I think his the last lineup that I saw, he was hitting seventh. Chaz and uh, Yiner Diaz are both hitting higher in the order now. Is Dusty a believer? Oh, necessity is the mother of invention, maybe, uh, sometimes. Uh, Bray is not going to hit, and we know, and if they're in the playoffs, who thinks Maldonado's not going to start every game behind the plate? So Yiner needs to be at first base in, in those games as opposed to Abreu. So I guess that would be the seeing is believing component for me, Brandon. But that would be tough, right? Because then that means you're basically not playing Abreu, right? Or that means Michael Brantley's not playing. Like, because something has to give. Because if, if Jordan's in yeah, left... Brantley hits what needs to give is Abreu. I think you need to be playing Yiner at least once a week at first base. I want him to still be used to playing first base. You might need him. I mean, even Dusty's starting to see the writing on the wall, man, with Abreu. He's like, oh, if Abreu can hit like the guy we signed, then, you know, we'll really be doing something. Well, season's almost over, man. Like, it's not happening. And, I mean, with the back injury, too, and to give them credit, they're not playing him every day coming off an injury. But that's something we've been saying all season. Maybe the back and the the performance wouldn't have been so poor if they would have gotten him some more rest. He's 36 years old. and But here we are. You're stuck with what you're stuck with. We just got to hope that that he plays better. And I'd like to see Yiner in there at first because I think Charlie's right. I don't think you were going to see him catching all that much. But overall, the offense now is positioned to be in a very good place. And statistically, and things can move a huge game here, a huge game there. But generally speaking, over 162 games, water finds its level. But the Astros' run scoring now ranks better than the Astros' run prevention. And who'd have thought that two months ago? Also, who would have thought, is John Singleton going to make a playoff roster for the 2023 Astros? Uh, I don't think so. If Brantley is healthy, I think they'll want the defensive versatility and, and unless they're going to cut to 12 pitchers, and I don't think you need any more than 12 pitchers, certainly not in the best of three. So if they're in the wild card, then maybe there's a spot for Singleton to pinch hit from Aldonado in the sixth inning. If you're down four to two or something like that. But then when you go to best of five, they'll probably want 13 pitchers and, and probably not a Singleton slot then. Definitely follow that under questions. I did not think I would be asking in 2023. Speaking of returning to form, both Framber Valdez and Justin Verlander, they seem to have righted the ship just in time for JP France to get shelled, unfortunately. And I don't really count that game. It's against Alex Cora. Always, you know, got to account for some funny business. Also, just by the way, Kendall Graveman has been just what the doctor had ordered for this bullpen as well. Dana Brown's trade deadline moves look even better to me right now. 
if you look at the litmus in, in the division, it is Seattle. So I guess the real question is, does Houston have enough pitching to hang with a team like Seattle? Well, we need to uh, grade on a curve a little bit, right? The Tigers offense, the only two worse are Kansas City and Oakland, two joke teams of the sport. Uh, but Verlander now has been strong two starts in a row. The command, not awesome, um, but the results uh, just fine. So he's not 2022 Justin Verlander. Well, under 1% of pitchers in the history of the game have been that guy. Uh, Fromber, I'm curious. Again, it was against the Tigers, right? Over his last 10 starts, basically he's been crappy in eight of them. He no-hit the Guardians. The only offense is worse than the Guardians, the Royals, the A's, and the Tigers. Then he throws the seven no-hit against the Tigers. Uh, the rubber will hit the road a little bit. Wednesday night at Fenway. The Red Sox have a good offense. I really want to see what Fromber does against the team in kind of desperation mode. Um, you know, Fromber, I think the start of his career, right? Uh, no hitters historic. But game five at Fenway in 2021, right? Fromber was a disaster that entire postseason except for that start in Fenway where he was great. Over eight innings, the Astros took the 3-2 series lead the day after the Jason Castro game. Should have been called out on strikes in the ninth inning. Wasn't go-ahead hit. They scored seven runs with two out in the ninth to tie the series. Then Fromber was money in game five. Astros come home and clinch in game six. Uh, a reasonable facsimile of that Fromber Wednesday night, then I'll believe that, that he's back. Uh, but if he goes out and needs 100 pitches to get through five innings or doesn't get out of the fourth inning, then it's uh-oh mode. J.P. France, I think, was just entitled to a complete mulligan. He'd been so consistent. You know, every pitcher is going to get got every once in a while. And if there was a tell, France and the Astros better have the untell because JP's facing those Red Sox on Tuesday night. With France, you know, Brandon and I were watching that game and he was just wild in the strike zone. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, is he tipping pitches? I'm like, you can't keep missing there. And, and that's what he was doing. And he got shelled for it. So that's kind of what's got him to this point is he's he's pretty sharp typically on the corner. So if he can get back to doing that, I think he's going to be OK. Fromber kind of what Charlie pointed out, I don't want him getting out of the game too early. As good as he was against the Tigers, he had five walks. I mean, that's a lot. So if you're walking five guys, then you get into that Javier kind of scenario where you're lucky to get through five innings, which can be tough. As far as JV, I'm loving what I'm seeing, especially this, the two starts ago. I thought he was fantastic. You're also seeing the strikeouts coming way up for Verlander, well more than per inning he's pitching. So I think Verlander's I'm feeling as good as I can feel about JV right now at this point in the season. So I'm happy about that. If they have those two hammers at the top of the rotation with Fromber and Justin, I, I think we're in a really good spot. We'll we'll see who steps up here in the next couple of weeks to, to be the number three and number four starters, assuming they make the playoffs. You know, and every game is massive, obviously, when you're in two close races, division and wild card inside 30 games to go. So the Red Sox series is huge. Right? The Yankees are dead in the water, but that series is huge. Uh, but that Rangers series looming next week. And interesting with the off day Thursday, right? I'm not wild about framing the rotation for Justin Verlander to go on four days rest every time possible the rest of the year. That said, the way they have it lined up for the Red Sox, Verlander after the off day on four days rest, I presume starts Friday night against the Yankees. Um, he better start Friday night against the Yankees because Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Four days rest after that, Verlander, the series finale in Arlington against the Rangers, which could decide that tiebreaker. Could be deciding first place. Could be big for wildcard position. Well, certainly will be at least big for, for wildcard positioning. Uh, I do want to make sure Verlander's starting one of those games 
in Arlington. There was a lot of gnashing of teeth after the Ryan Presley blown save against the Tigers in the series opener. You mentioned the Rangers bullpen being just poor. Araldus Chapman, ERA under one when it's a non-save situation, over four in save situations. Contrast that with what the Astros were able to get in Kendall Graven. Granted, obviously not in the same kind of high leverage situations, but every bit is important uh, in patching kind of what they lost and what they lost was a reliable Montero. Is Graveman enough of a patchwork in the bullpen to kind of fix what ails them? Well, I think overall the bullpen's fine. Uh, Presley was untouchable for a month, but overall he's a pretty average closer this year. Right? 28 saves, blowing five. And there's nothing special about that. But he's a good closer unless he was to go 2017 Ken Giles. There's, there's no way Presley's going to get demoted from the closer role. So behind him, Brian Abreu's been excellent. Hector Neris overall has been excellent. So once you get down to your fourth and fifth relievers, uh, Graveman, I think, is that number four guy. Stanek's been better recently, but I think is still lower in the pecking order. Right, Montero, you bring in when you're up 10-1 or down one, and you need an inning or two eaten, or you're running out of pitchers because you're in an extra inning game. So, you know, Montero is the sixth reliever. Uh, but overall, this is still a good bullpen. Rangers, right? Bruce Bochy's dealing with a nightmare there. You alluded to Chapman. Will Smith has been very shaky uh, in recent weeks. You know, the Rangers starting rotation has a better ERA for this season than the Astros starting rotation, right? Soak that in. Uh, Jordan Montgomery's been spectacular since going over there. Um, Scherzer's been pretty good since going over there. But the Rangers bullpen, along with their clutch hitting, was unsustainable. Somewhere before the All-Star break, as a team, they were hitting 335 with runners in scoring position. Well, now they're down with the near, mere mortals. Still pretty good at 280. Uh, but the Astros now, fifth best batting average, in Major League Baseball with runners in scoring position, second best with runners in scoring position, and two outs. You know, you either come through or the inning's over unless there's an error or something in there. Uh, so, yeah, that Rangers bullpen in the end uh, probably makes them the third choice in the American League West, which has them fighting with the Blue Jays for that wild card spot. No guarantees on that, but as we take the snapshot at least with a month to go, that's how it frames to me. Yeah, it's funny you say that about Presley, Charlie, because I did my fantasy football draft with all my high school buddies. And one of my friends, he was a college pitcher, so he knows baseball. He was like, Ryan Presley's terrible. <laughs> you know, he was just railing on him for it. And, and to be fair, it was that night that he they gave up the lead. And his ERA went from being in the twos to being in the threes after that one appearance. So a lot can shift there. And he's not a, a true dominant, dominant closer, somebody with a one ERA, but you know, a closer in the twos with his playoff pedigree. I'm not worried about Presley. That I don't think that's why it's not going to work out for the Astros this year. And yeah, we still love Abreu and Naris. And we did a video on Graveman the other day. I, I, I think Graveman was exactly what they needed. And I made the point in the video that they didn't go get Graveman unless Montero was so terrible that they felt they had to go get Graveman to, to get one more pitcher that Dusky could trust in the bullpen. And I don't think that deal gets done without them talking to Dusty because Dusty managed him a couple of years ago. So I don't think Dana Brown makes that deal unless Dusty was like, yeah, go get me Graveman. And that's the bottom line because Stone Cold said so. And another episode of Stone Cold Strows is in the books. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to give us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcast. And remember next week, no podcast on Monday. It'll be Wednesday night following the series with the Rangers. Thanks to Jack Brain for producing the show. And thanks to everyone for listening. Until next time, go Strows.